Welcome to Just Do It HQ, a podcast from Uninterrupted celebrating the 30-year anniversary of those three words. I'm your host, Denise Jones, here at Just Do It HQ in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we've talked to athletes who win Olympic gold medals, Super Bowls, and NBA championships. But you can be an athlete without being in the upper echelon of sports. I mean, the definition for an athlete is someone who is proficient in sports and other physical exercises. If you put that work in, you're an athlete. And today, we're going to talk to a few people you probably haven't heard of, but are still stars and have an inspiring story to share. Our first guest schools your favorite NBA players on the court every summer. Hey, this is Frank Nitty, three-time Drew League MVP. Frank plays in the Drew League here in Los Angeles, and if you haven't heard of it, you're definitely missing out. Some of the best amateur, college, and pro hoopers like Frank, DeMar DeRozan, and Paul George head down to South Central LA over the NBA offseason to get a game in. Even the Mamba himself, Kobe Bryant, has laced up at the Drew League. The Drew League... What can I tell you about the Drew League? The Drew League is probably the most entertaining basketball in LA when the season's not going on, when NBA season isn't going on, obviously. You get NBA guys, you get guys from different teams that maybe the local people from LA can't see, you know, because they might have might not have the money for the ticket. So you get you get the NBA guys in there. It's free. You don't have to, you know, pay for anything. Um, the atmosphere is great. You got you got music, you got, you know, you everyone takes pictures with everyone at uh, as they can, I mean, at least. I mean, there's guys that come in there and <laughs> can't walk out the gym. But uh, you get, you know, you get pictures with NBA stars that you might never see. Um, we got celebs that sit, you know, courtside. Um, we got NBA players that come just watch the game. So, I mean, it's it's honestly an NBA-style environment for free. And um, in L.A., nothing's free. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to to get, you know, get, give the kids something to, to look forward to, even if it's a pitcher, you know, a couple guys gave away like their sneakers and armbands and, you know, just little stuff like just giving back. So it, it all comes down and it's for the youth. Um, it's for adults too. I got a lot of adults there <laughs> that, uh, that love the game, but at the end of the day, man, it, it's the kids that we want to set the tone for and, you know, make sure their generation gets taken care of. So being that you have a lot more experience in the Drew League than I do. How would you describe the vibe inside the gym at a game in the Drew League? How would I describe the vibe? I would describe the vibe as exciting, contagious. Um, there's nothing like, I'm going to give you a scenario. Give me a scenario. <laughs> I'm going to give you a scenario. This is a Frank Diddy scenario too. So it, if it sounds a little arrogant, stall me out. <laughs> so I got scored on by somebody. Um, and he started talking a little bit. And everybody know once once they get to talking, you ain't going to shut me up. So uh, he scored on me. I walked down the court dribbling the ball. The gym is looking around. And all I hear is, oh. Like, they're like, it starts low and gets so high because they realize, like, who he's talking to. And they know that once I get going, like, there's no shutting me up. So it's kind of like the biggest instigating like thing I've ever seen, but in a positive aspect. Because typically when you're instigating, you're instigating something you, something you shouldn't be. In this aspect, like everybody wanted to see like, all right, what is Frank going to do? Like they're talking to him like he ain't nobody. So literally I come back down and I score and the gym erupts, man. It's just, it's just a great environment to be around. But before Frank ever played a game for the Drew League, 
this gonna sound cliche. Uh, I ain't even gonna lie to you. Uh, me and my best friend used to sit. Um, we used to sit in the house and watch uh, Kobe. Obviously, that's what we had on TV. It was free. You know, we ain't got no cable. So you know, whatever came on the local uh, TV channels, um, and that's that's kind of who we got to. Like see that dog, like you don't see that a lot. Like people who got that, you know, I'ma grind it out. I'm a I'ma be nitty, I'm gonna be the mamba. Um, all that little stuff like that, man. Um, uh, that's it gotta be him. It, it ain't too many and it's funny because I just met him uh for the first time this past weekend, so that's why I said it's gonna sound cliche. But um I think I played it pretty cool. I think I <laughs> I think I played it pretty cool. But uh yeah, man, just him him being him. Um you know, playing with all that passion, fire that you don't see that much no more. So, was there a point where you were like, I can be in the NBA? Nah, I was skateboarding. Really? Yeah, yeah, I was a skateboarder. I, I, that was never a thought. So, you wanted to be a professional skateboarder? Yeah, one? I wanted to get sponsored. <laughs> I wanted to be sponsored by Independent. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you, but uh, yeah, I didn't think about it. So, how did the skateboard culture mix with, with basketball? Uh, when did that happen? My high school coach from L.A. Jordan, I was doing flip tricks off the stairs, and he saw I was athletic. So he was like, come uh, come play or whatever. Uh, try out, play. I don't know what it was. He had me running 20 laps a day, doing plyo boxes. Man, it was the worst to sit. No, I'm just joking. That's my guy. <laughs> That's my guy, uh, Van Myers from L.A. Jordan. Um, nah, he, he changed my life, man. He was one of the guys that, you know, put me on a path that I didn't even know I was good at. Was playing under his coaching a moment where you realized that you were a special player when it came to basketball? Oh, God, no. I played defense. Um, <laughs> they used to sub me in and out. Man, I remember when I didn't get no offense. Like, they would sub me to guard the best player, and then when they needed to score it, I'd get subbed out. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that moment that you realized that you could take it to the next level? What was that moment I realized? To be honest, I didn't realize that until I want to say JUCO. Um, playing at Saddleback with uh, my coach Andy Ground, um, he he built a team, you know, around me, and he let me he let me play. I was the first coach to let me play. I got to play through my mistakes, learn what was right, what was wrong, what's a bad shot, what's a good shot, uh, bad passes, bad position, um, personnel. I just got to learn a lot. Being on the floor, like I always try to teach uh, younger guys, because now they start asking. And my thing is just try to stay on the floor. The more you stay on the floor, the more experience you get, the more comfortable. You're going to be with playing the, the game. So for my my uh, my thing was um, is just do little things. Do the little things that I was talking about when I watch. Uh, do things that, that won't show up, show up on the stat sheet. So you mentioned your college career. Tell me about your college career because you played ball with Damian Lillard, right? I did. I did. Uh, my college career was all over the place. Um, <laughs> a lot of people think I went to four schools because <laughs> I had a bad attitude. I did, but it wasn't for that. Uh, my first JC I went to, I rode the bench. My that was IVC. My assistant coach got the head coaching job at Saddleback, and that's where he took me with him. At that point, um, is where I had a really good year with him, and then I went to Weber State. That year, I played well, but I had a bad attitude, so they they sent me packing, which I needed that. That humbled me. That showed me, you know, I had a lot of growing up to do. So I wasn't going to just – I'm glad I wasn't that good. I wasn't going to skate my way through life and, and not have like, have to grow up. So um, 
that that's kind of what happened. But uh, I played a long game, uh, and that's one of my best friends, man. We don't we don't hang out as much, obviously, in Portland and all that. But we still talk. We still, you know, I had him ask me for a Jew jersey. I'm gonna have to have <laughs> Nike get get my guy Jew jersey sent out, man. But uh, you know, that's crazy. You got you know he a big time NBA player. You know he wanna. Little old Frank Nitty jersey, man. That, that mean a lot to me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Now you mentioned that you had a you know you had an attitude, right? You yeah. mentioned the first year of college that you rode the bench. Do you feel that second year you were riding with a chip on your shoulder? Yeah, I had a chip on my shoulder. We could say that. We could say that first year contributed to it because um, that team. I went to the same. I was in the same conference, so <laughs> I got to play against them. Like, all right, now I get to. You know, show you why you had, and I ended up being the MVP of the whole conference of the the conference. So you had the MVP on the bench that year. So little stuff like that is like, yeah, I'm always put a champ. I ain't, I ain't, I haven't done enough yet, basically. So what were you doing during that time after college? Um, I played everywhere. I ain't even gonna lie to you. If I had, if anybody knew me, <laughs> they invited me to an adult league, uh, uh, whatever league it was. If it feels like. 45 50 minute drive I was there like I didn't care how much or who we was playing I didn't care you know I don't I don't see I don't see players even when we play against NBA guy I don't see players I see cones and I see you know a win so at the end of the day I'm gonna play my hardest against whoever wherever and uh that kind of kept me in shape and it's funny because I was just doing it to stay in shape like I was working nine to five I just didn't want to get you know get a little big and then everybody be like dang Frank what happened so I figured I'm working nine to five um and just trying to stay in shape. That's, so that's that's all that was. So how do you stay driven? Because there's a lot of, let's be real, there's a lot of college athletes who won't make it to the NBA. They won't make it professionally. But they still have a drive and a passion for the sport that they play. So how do you stay focused when you're not playing the sport that you've been playing for years? See, that's tough for me. That's a tough question for me. Because me, at that time, I wasn't focused on basketball. I was focused on staying in shape. So it's a little different. Uh, now, me staying focused on basketball, I know I have to get a contract next year. I got I got something to provide for. I have a family. I have, uh, uh, we bought a home. Like, all that matters now. Like, guys with nothing to, it, it's always been different for me. I've always had a child. I've always had a, a family or a, a girlfriend or a wife. I just, I've always had somebody and something to take care of. I had, pri- I had to prioritize. My grind was always to take care of the family and make sure they had, and uh, regardless if I didn't, um, that that was my thing. Just making sure they had. That was my grind. So why did you? What made you decide to to take basketball a little more seriously and make it a goal to get signed next year? Were uh, there any people in your ear? A lot of people made me take it serious. It ain't even. It's not even me. It's not even me who decided. You know what? I'm gonna take it serious. Uh, first and foremost, uh, wifey told me. My my wife Nicole Sessions said literally like, give it a shot. Like if she wouldn't have said that, like I didn't care what nobody would say. I wasn't doing it. Like I, we had, we were comfortable, we would stay, we were comfortable. So um, it, once she gave it okay, then I started, it, it, it got in the back of my mind. Like, all right, maybe, you know, I can hoop. But she my wife. I feel like she biased. I was like, I ain't going to. supportive? I, exactly. I ain't going to listen to that. I'm, I'm going to keep it pushing. Um, I started having a really good year, really good year. You know, I got medal or peace. <laughs> he came up to me after a game I had like 44, 42 against them. I was like, man, what are you doing? Like, you trying to play? Um, I was like, eh, I don't know yet. Kind of. I've had. KD walked, KD walked up to me recently and says, I can't say what he said, but he gave me some, gave me some props and let me know that, you know, um, he, like he taking notice of what I'm doing. So these are guys that are, you know, top guys in our NBA right now who are, you know, giving me that, putting that in the back of my mind, like, yo, you can, you can really play. And at the end of the day, like, that's all, that's all I want as a kid. Like, I didn't want, 
like NBA is great, but I understand how hard it is to get to the NBA. So my mindset isn't, you know, I'm going to make the NBA because these NBA guys tell me I can be there. No, my mindset is just take care of the family, keep doing that, and whatever happens, happens. So is there a lot of pressure on your shoulders in your city carrying that spotlight being shined on you the way that it is? Um, no, it's, I, don't, I don't see any pressure on me just because I've always felt that. That, that is my chip. That, that pressure is my chip. So, I mean, if you want to call it pressure, I'm just calling it a chip on my shoulder because at the end of the day, I, I, I haven't done enough yet. I haven't done enough yet. Um, I still have, you know, I still have goals I want to achieve. So um, I'm, I've always came to play. So it's not really – it's nothing that, you know, I'm short of, I lack. Um, anytime I step on the court, I'm not worried about anything but having a good game and making sure we, we pull this game off. So every game is redemption. Every game. Every game, whoever in front of me, Kill Bill, volume three. <laughs> <laughs> every time. Let's get to, to how Nitty came into place. <laughs> and, you know, you, grew, you came into the world as Frank Session. Yes, ma'am. And you got, you, everyone knows you as Frank Nitty. Yeah. Everyone, everyone in the stands is like, Nitty, Nitty. It's just like crazy. Yeah. So how did Frank Nitty, is it like your Black Mamba? Like yeah. how did Frank Nitty come about? No, that's that's really what it is. Like George, um, which is our announcer for the Drew, started calling me the enforcer. And I've always been like that nitty gritty player my whole life. So I've always done the little things, the things to win games. So literally once George started to see, you know, I wasn't backing down from anybody, no matter who we played, like he kind of ran with the enforcer. Um, I've always had Frank Nitty the nickname, but once people start seeing like the arrogant side of it, the oh, he ain't backing down from nobody and just that it, it that's kind of how it transpired and, and nitty became bigger than you know anything i ever thought it would have been so you become a legend at the drew now at this point it's safe to, it's a there's living it's okay Man. you can own the title uh, nitty, you can, why are you being so humble for right now <laughs> he is aggressive on the oh court my God. I, I please i recommend for you guys to youtube frank nitty he <laughs> is a completely different person than he is right now on this podcast oh you man. are aggressive so you're a living legend at the drew and looking back what was that moment that you feel vaulted you from being another guy playing ball amongst better known players you know nba stars and such to being a league legend in your own right what vaulted me? I'm going to say the 2017 year opened their eyes, but the 2018 year set it in stone. So the 2017 year, we didn't lose a game, and we won a championship with a bunch of people we probably shouldn't have won with. <laughs> but um, I love my guys, man. They they play hard. I wouldn't be here without them. Um, but the 2018 year, uh, we had a great another great run. Um, they had to bring James Harden to beat us, man. Nah, I'm not even going to say James Harden. They had to bring James Harden, <laughs> P.J. Tucker. Like, I should run off names. Nah, I ain't going to drop names like that, though. But, uh, yeah, they had to bring an NBA starting five for little old us, man. So, uh, I'm going to say that's – I don't mind going down like that. And I told people once I saw them all walk in the gym, we're going to put up a fight. But I don't mind going down to, you know, a starting five in the NBA. That just shows how, you know, how tough we can be and um, – how much load I am. <laughs> Absolutely. And it shows just how much that, you know, they see you as a threat because you can, if they're bringing NBA players, right, the way that they did, it can be intimidating to, to someone else. I agree. Was there a game in 2017 or, or a specific play that you felt you were going 
at you know you were moving in superhero motion um yeah we was down what was it down six seven we was down six seven with like 25 seconds left um we was down they for sure thought we was about to lose and at that point we were like 13 and 0 so to lose at that point is like man it's like playoffs about to start what's the point of losing now let's lose you know in the playoffs and um it ended up i came down hit one three all right the game ain't over we down four next thing you know like they come down miss i come down spread the court Come off, pump fake, guy jumps. I shoot the ball. I had no idea it was going in. I'm not going to lie to you. I shoot the ball to get the foul. Right. The ball goes in. Jim goes crazy. Now I just got to make the free throw. And at this time, I never worked out before. I didn't work on my game. So I was kind of shaky at the line. I ain't even going to lie to you. <laughs> but um, I ended up stepping it up, knocking it down. Yeah, yeah. We put it into overtime. And after that, it was a wrap. I, I kind of I kind of took over and uh, my, my team, you know, rallied with me and, we got the dub. They say in the league, they want you to get the ball, you know, across the court or from one end to the other in like three, sec three seconds, four seconds. So, I mean, if you got 20 seconds, that's a lot of time. That's why, I mean, in the league, I know in our league it ain't crazy, but in the league, the game's never over till it's over. But, um, yeah, that, that day, man, I made sure that um, I always play to the end. Even if we lose in, like, there's a couple games. We lost twice this year, and I, you, you still go down swinging. You never want to give up. You never want to look defeated. Um, at the end of the day, man, uh, basketball always gives you an opportunity to redeem yourself. So it's never, you know, all right, I lost, like, it's over with for the rest of my life. Like, you always get to redeem yourself and uh, give another shot. You're a three-time MVP at this point. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. You're very humble right now. You're very composed. <laughs> but you're, I'm going to say it again. You are a three-time MVP in the Drew League. How do you shine, in your opinion, in a sea of such talented, accomplished players, like the ones you play with, how do you how stand do I, out? How do I shine? Oh, that's a great question. To be honest, can I cuss on this podcast? Absolutely. I talk a lot of shit. I talk a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, man, as, as bad as that may sound, people eat it up. People eat it up. They want to, you know, because I want... I talk shit so the person I'm guarding or that's guarding me knows that I need his 100% every time. I don't want him to come out here and say, oh, Frank gave me 40 because I wasn't playing. I'm going to make sure that I let the fans know that I'm at your head and I'm going to make sure that I let the fans know if they're cheering for you, stop cheering. I'm about to shut him down. So either way, like, it's, it's I don't know. It, it's just me. I got, that, that's a part of my game I got to figure out, you know. How to, because that's the people I grew up watching. Like, that's how they play. They talk shit. It's never personal. It's just business. So, people describe your basketball style as aggressive. Clearly, uh, you have a, a strong, you know, mouth, <laughs> mouthpiece that you use to your advantage. But some reporters even use words like arrogant or disrespectful. Is that, you know, what's your attitude when you step on that court and you hear that? Um, stuff like that, I don't hear. Uh, that's just me knowing I need to tone it down a little bit. Um, at times, you know, right now it's not, I used to be a nine to five worker. That was my nine to five Frank Nitty. Now I'm a pro. So now, you know, if I want to be taken serious, um, I got to tone it down a little bit. I can't be so extra all the time. Like it's all right to talk a little shit, but make sure, you know, it's, you know, within the, within the game, you know, it's not, it's not too much. Um, like I said, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Um, I will, I, I've also wanted to add that uh, I actually had a team tell me, you know, uh, Frank ain't a, ain't a hooper, he's an entertainer. I'm a pro now, so I got to start acting a little more like it. But at the end of the day, I'm still coming to destroy whoever in front of me.
what advice would you give a young baller who's listening right now? Don't give up. Never give up. I've had so many people tell me, you know, this this isn't for me. I've had so many people tell me, you know, you you're not you're not good enough for my team. Like I've been waived, I've been cut. Um, I never I've never given up. Um, you, I would say, listen to what your what your friends are telling you. A lot of friends will see, you know, from the outside. If they're honest friends, they'll see from the outside looking in what you really need to fix, work on. And for the most part, I'm I've learned to be a great listener. Like I take advice from just about anybody I can get it from. You're never too big to learn. So uh, when everybody's walking up telling you this is what you need to do, like, hey, maybe you need to do it. So um, that's what I would say. Just be all ears. Uh, never give up. If it's really your passion, um, go for it. So we're here at the Just Do It HQ, right? And Nike's celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Just Do It. What does Just Do It mean to you? Um, just Do It means a lot. Oh, man, it means so much. I'm going to just get over it. How many times are you mad and you can sit there and say to yourself, like, like just get over it, just do it. Like, it, it would change so much in your life. Um, I feel like a lot of the time we, we get mad and we, we soak and we sit in our own way and we, we want somebody to pamper us or get us out of our own way. So that's kind of the reason why I got sent home. I was that kid who wanted to just sit there, be mad and have somebody, you know, change my diaper and then I go back to being, <laughs> I'll be in fine. Like, no, like, uh, it means a lot. That slogan is, is spot on, man. I don't, I don't think y'all should ever change that. I should keep that because, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can use that in any aspect in life. Frank Nitty, thank you for joining us. You got it. Next up, we talk to someone who trains elite athletes, but stays out of the limelight himself. Hey, I'm Travell Gaines. I'm a Nike Master Trainer, and we're at the JDI HQ, and um, I'm lucky in, enough to be the uh, trainer for Todd Gurley, uh, Saquon Barkley, Antonio Brown, uh, LaShawn McCoy, several of the top Nike uh, athletes in the world. I mean, people call me the best trainer in the world, and I, I don't think it has nothing to do with me. It's just because I have a really great client list. I'm just a super product of right place, right time, and is working hard. Before he decided to become a trainer, Travell had a different dream job. I wanted to be a high school principal in the inner city. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to do that because I wanted to um, make sure that kids that are underserved have the proper resources to get to where they need to get. So I felt without, if I didn't play football, I wouldn't be where I was at. So that's what I wanted to do. When did you become a Nike Master Trainer? 2012. And how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think at the time, I remember um, that year, 2012 draft, I had Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck, a lot of people don't remember this because of his unfortunate injuries the past few years. Andrew Luck was the highest rated um, pro prospect to ever come out, uh, him and John Elway. And so I remember getting Andrew Luck and training him. And Andrew was crazy. Like, I remember his dad calling me the year before. And Oliver Luck, he's this serious guy, calls me up and was like, Travell, I'm going to send my son to you next year. Do not call me or contact me in between. I'm like, all right. You know what I mean? Right. Sure enough, they end up playing in the, um, the Orange Bowl. Played the Orange Bowl. I got to call like 4 a.m. in the morning, like, Terrell, this is Oliver Luck. Do you remember me? I'm like, yes, I remember you, sir. Mm -hmm. Sending my son to you. And they came down the next day. They drove down from Stanford in like a Honda Accord or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the kid just worked hard. And um, that year, um, when Andrew ended up coming over to Nike, he ended up signing Nike. It was a huge ordeal. And they saw something in me. I had a relationship with Nike for years. They decided to give me an offer. And I've been lucky enough to get 
a great deal with Nike for the past six years. What do you see as your job description? That's funny because I don't really know what I do. You know what I mean? So it's tough to say that because I think it's it's one part you're a trainer, one part you're you know you're helping out these athletes with their bodies from a uh, physical standpoint, from a um, nutrition standpoint, from a injury prevention standpoint. Then another part you're also it's a mindset thing. People understand how much these pro athletes go through. You know, it's they have to juggle first playing their sport, then someone always trying to constantly take their job and take money out of their pockets, then their 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 own intermediate family, then their extended family then their friends, and then the media, and just it's tough to be them. So there's a lot of expectations you have to manage, and a lot of times dealing with their personality or their temperament at the time is one of the biggest things that I have to do. And that's, I think I think I'm probably a counselor. I don't know. What would you say is your fitness philosophy and style? So uh, the fitness philosophy and style for athletic games is, is we want our athletes to be in the best physical shape possible. So all the workouts are very cardio-driven. Um, so we try to get the athletes to uh, anaerobic capacity, and we try to keep them there. So my whole thing is how strong can you be when you're tired? How explosive can you be when you're tired? So once we get the athletes to a certain heart rate, we keep them there. So it's easy for you to bench 405 pounds when you're fresh, but can you do it when you're dead tired? And so that's the philosophy of just we want the athletes that train with us to be the best conditioned, in shape athletes on the field or on the playing service at all times. You work with so many different athletes, right? So tell us about some of the athletes that you work with, like Draymond, yeah. uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, AB. The list really does go yeah. on. Um, and it's full of a lot of familiar names to a lot of us. What's been the strangest workout story? You know, that, someone that really, like, impressed you. By far, Antonio Brown. People got to understand, so Antonio Brown has been the exact same person since I met him six years ago. Um, I absolutely love Antonio Brown, not only because of the way that he works, which I'm about to get to in a second, but how he is as a parent. He's just a phenomenal dad. He loves his kids, does a really good job to him, and he, and he finds, I don't know how he has energy, but he finds this time every day to do, to balance everything. So Antonio, man, he's so funny. He'll call me at 8 o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, I'm on my way to the gym. And he'll sometimes show up at 8 p.m. at night. And he would want to work out for three hours and just crazy stuff. It's like he, I've never seen somebody, when I first met Antonio, literally in his house, he had like ladders in his hallway. So as he was going down his hallway, he would get like some ladder work in and stuff like that. He was always training, always working. He turned one of his rooms into a Pilates studio. Literally like he has his basements, a weight room. Like he just wants to train all day. And so you hear about people saying, you know, I'm grinding, like whatever. But to see somebody work no out. No days off. Oh man, this guy four or five times a day. Every single day is is impressive, and it's it's crazy. He needs a camera on him twenty four seven. I keep on hearing that. I oh. keep on hearing, and he we actually saw him work out yeah. um, a couple of days ago. So, your clients say a lot of really nice things about you too. And and so, what is it about you you think, Travel, that keeps you know these high profile athletes knocking down your door? It's easy. I just um, I care about them. You know, and at the end of the day, when you're a professional athlete, and so many people want stuff from you. I think they, they realize, like, oh, this dude really cares. And, like, that's what it is. And also, I don't kiss their butt. So I'm someone who does not – everybody kisses, kisses, you know, kisses up to them and whatever, and I just don't do it. And I think that's what the biggest thing is for them and for us. It's just I don't – I mean, I'm serious with them, yeah. you know, and, and we get it in and we work hard. And I've always gotten really, really good results. But also, that's also the product of having the right athletes because every single thing I have is a referral base. 
I don't have marketing materials. I don't even think we have a website, you know, but it's, it's all off of referrals. Hey, you need to go train with this guy type stuff. And so I get a certain type of athlete who is normally pretty serious and really wants to work out. So let's transition over to health and fitness, mm-hmm. right? How do you help your clients build muscle? The easiest way to help the clients build muscle is just increase their protein intake. That's the number one thing. You always look at their diet. So the funny part is almost all of our athletes train the same. They all want to be explosive. They all want to be faster. They all want to be more limber. They all want hip flexibility and all those kind of things like that. Obviously, everybody knows about the Trey Young situation, him putting on the 15 pounds of muscle, you know, during his eight-week process. It just was all controlled by his diet. Um, it was it was tough. I mean, he was taking five protein shakes a day, but you have to figure out um, what his caloric intake burn is and uh, what his output is and figure out what to put into him so he can hold on to it so every single day he can constantly put on those lean pounds. What should our listeners uh, take away from this conversation if they're trying to get buff? Is it is it just increasing the protein intake or is there more to it? Maybe some kind of like a workout method that they can apply at home. I think that's, that's crazy you mentioned that because um, I think the average people or anyone at home, anybody that's highly motivated can do our workouts. You know, and I think the biggest thing is just to get in a routine, get in a pattern, um, make sure you stick with it. I always recommend that people work out really early in the morning so they don't procrastinate and gives them the energy throughout their day. And then add some great protein and just watch what you eat and you'll get great results. How do you advise your clients on nutrition? What I tell them all is simple. I try not to make them go on these crash course diets. I try not to make them do stuff that they don't like. I try to find out every single thing they like to eat and then their lifestyle and make adjustments from there. So if you have somebody who just loves candy, okay, we got to take the candy away. But if it's like Trey Young, I'll never forget this. He, it took him, all he wanted to eat was chicken strips. He loves, um, what's it, Cane's, Cane's oh, chicken. Raising Cane's? That's his, oh, he needs a sponsorship. He, get, he went there like three times a day. So That should not be as good as it is. They give it to you with this <laughs> bread. It should not be that good. Well, he absolutely loved that stuff. And so I think for him it was just finding different alternatives for not him not eating fried chicken all day. And what was his alternative? Uh, grilled chicken. <laughs> grilled chicken. So it was grilled chicken and, or you get it a little lightly breaded and stuff like that. So try to keep them as close to things that they like and, you know, try to reward them as well because they're not on a punishment, you know? Right. So, and you mentioned can- like somebody has a sweet tooth with candy, for example. What's the replacement there aside from, is it fruit? Well, for them, it's just you, you can't have candy, man. You know, <laughs> you can't just eat candy all day. And a lot of times, like, um, when you get them out of that craving and they're not used to eating it, it'll be like some bribery stuff I'll try with them. And they normally weed themselves off of it pretty easy. Right. Because I read somewhere that Russell Westbrook loves to eat gummy, gummy worms or gummy mm. bears. And a Snapple. Russell Westbrook can eat whatever he wants to eat. <laughs> that, that man is a freak of nature. So I don't think it's going to bother him if he eats gummy worms or Snapples or a pile of dirt. He's just a freak of nature. That's interesting. So we just we just finished speaking to some athletes, and we heard that LeBron doesn't do weights. Uh, some of his former teammates told us that he doesn't do any weight training. He doesn't lift weights. To me, that was a surprise because mm-hmm. the guy is extremely ripped. He's yeah. a big guy. So if you had a chance to train LeBron, what would, you, what would you look to add or refine or accomplish with him? That's crazy because I think that he does everything the right way. Probably continuing what he's doing, you know, just his balance work and his core strength and his lower body, just his balance, his core strength. I mean, he has it all. He's, just, he's such a finely tuned athlete. You know, I think maybe there's probably some drills I could probably give him or help him out with, but he's so finely tuned, and it's it's 
you don't mess with that. Right. So if you come across an athlete who says, I don't want to lift weights, that's say I'm coming to you. Oh, right? almost all of them. And what, the, what do you tell them? You got to. You know, but if they say, the, I'm not going to lift any weights, is there an alternative? Yeah, yeah. You start them with, uh, we do a lot of bands, a lot of resistance stuff. A lot of the guys don't like to lift. Like, So the funny part is, we actually don't, all sports, we don't lift heavy weights with none of the guys that we train. So it's more so what can your body handle at a very explosive rate. So a lot of times it's bands, a lot of times it's med balls, it's a lot of different things, but the weights really isn't a big thing. That That old school kind of bodybuilding style working out is kind of really old school so yeah. we, don't, we don't really work guys out like that interesting our gals so what happens when you deal with an athlete who's having just a really bad day is going through it happens all the time mental mental toughness is just isn't there like it normally is how do you deal with an athlete like that so the, the funny thing about the only advice i give to a lot of trainers is a lot of times when you're a trainer you have a ego you know because you have to be oh i'm better than this person or you should train with me work in a service or in a business you have to prove you're better than the next person providing service, whether you do nails or you do makeup or you do hair or you're a trainer. So they have these big egos. And so I think for me, um, a lot of times I've always, I always tell the guys who we work with, you got to make the client's goals your goals. And so you try to remind them because everybody has ups and bad, bad days. Everybody, it's not just the athletes, it's just people in life. But you remind them what, what their goal is. And if you take a day off or take time off, you're pushing yourself one day further away from their goal. And it's about how to t- learn how to talk to them. Because sometimes somebody's head could be so messed up, say, you know what, man, just go chill today. We'll go at it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and so it just depends on the temperament or how far gone they are removed. If you can bring them back and if you can't, it's all good, man. We're not going to fight. Go home. We'll see you tomorrow. How do you prepare for a new client? How do you study? How do you prepare for something that's new to you? So that's a great question. The thing I find out every time when I train someone new, I look at their injury history. And I try to improve all those things there. Next thing I do is I form my own opinion because everybody has their opinions on these athletes. Oh, Candace is the greatest person in the world. Oh, my God, Candace is the worst person in the world. I form that opinion on that person based on how they treat me. And that's all, all I care about is injury, um, their injury history, their promptness, and then how they treat me. And that's how I formulate how I work with athletes and what I do and how to push them and what their goals are and things like that. So with such a diverse group of athletes, you know, ball players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks mm-hmm. um, that you have, how does this approach change depending on your sport or position when it comes to training? Um, the, it's crazy because, like I said, like all these athletes want to train the same. It's, it's, it's balance, it's footwork, it's explosiveness, it's hip flexibility, it's core strength and it's injury prevention. So it's not a huge distinction between any of these athletes because they're all great athletes. Mm-hmm. It's more so the sets and reps. You know, obviously with basketball, you add more um, more jumping, you know, more plyometrics and stuff like that. With baseball, you add more rotational strength. But other than that, it's pretty much the same things for all the sports across the board. So, Travell, you've been uh, the trainer that's been here at Just Do It HQ the most. Mm-hmm. What has been the best thing this space has to offer, in your opinion? First of all, this, this space is absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's, I'm literally, every day I pull in here, I'm like, this is, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Um, I think the best, just it's, everything's here. The recovery is amazing. The cafeteria is amazing. The people here are amazing. Um, everything's here from a, a movement standpoint, from a weight standpoint. Um, I think, but, uh, you know, I would probably have to say the nutrition cafeteria side is just clutch. 
you know, being able to give the athletes exactly what they need before they start and give them exactly what they need to recover after they end is it's second to none. You know, Nike celebrating the reason that this pop-up station is here and this HQ is here is that they're celebrating 30 years of the Just Do It slogan. Yeah. So what does Just Do It mean to you? That's a great question because um, it's something. So when I was, I'm really going to age myself. So when I was young, I was a Nike fanatic and we were poor. So I couldn't, I couldn't afford shoes like that. And I always wanted to have, you know, shoes and Nikes and stuff like that. I next to get my first pair of Nikes when I was in high school. But um, just do it, you know, back in the 80s, they had all the Bo Jackson commercials and stuff like that. And, you know, just do it was just everything. And so it's just a, uh, it's a slogan that I say in life. It's a slogan that I think about every day, and everything that I do is just do it because I'm not supposed to be sitting here right now. I've had I had no rich parents, I had no like internships, I didn't know anybody, and it just kind of like my own mindset and knowing that I could just do anything that I wanted to do. It's literally the model that I live by every single day. We heard from Frank Nitty and Travell about intimidation and pride, and how if you want to be an athlete, there's no place for that. Like the Drew League's model, no excuse, just produce. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every good review makes it easier for new listeners to find this show and hear from their favorite Nike athletes. Until next week, I'm Denise Jones, leaving you with one final note. Frank Nitty checking in. Everybody know my story. I just got one question. How will you chase your crazy dream?